God is good, amen? God is good, amen? I thought about what if the only thing I did was organize furniture up here and then walk away. It'd be really weird. Got to go to a wedding last night. Kristen Bowman uh, was married to a guy named Colby. I like him. He's all right. Uh, but it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful wedding. Uh, I'm excited for Kristen. Uh, you will be missing her family here today. I think they are probably trying to recover from having to clean up afterwards. But Daryl and I were there, and look where we're at today, right? <laughs> we are walking through the book of James, uh, and we are learning what perhaps James wanted the people he was writing to to learn. And that is that in our life, we're going to be dealing with different things. We're going to be dealing with trials. We're going to be dealing with temptations. We're going to be dealing with struggles. But the goal of our life is to mature, to grow, to be complete, to be made whole. That our life doesn't culminate to baptism, but that baptism is a beginning to a walk with Christ where we're challenged to mature to look at things inside our life where, where we need to, to adjust, to, to change, to look more like Christ. And so we're walking through the book of James. I'm going to ask you to go to James chapter 1. Next week we'll put a pause on this study. Next Sunday I'll be uh, doing one of my favorite things, and that is going to Camp Duran for a retreat with our youth group. Um, and so I've... I've, in preparation to that, I've bought ranch-style flavored crickets and uh, bacon-flavored soda. So that's where I'll be. Uh, next week, Brent Nichols will be here, uh, one of our, our former missionaries in Brazil, uh, to bring the word, uh, to share with you guys what God has been sharing with him, but also to connect us back to our, our family in Brazil, the church that we are part of, participating in help plant. Also next Sunday, uh, the nursery will start, uh, and we are still in need. We've got a lot of signups back there, but we are still in need of some more uh, because I believe since Lacey and my wife are trying to fill those spots, if they don't get filled, Ryan and I will be in there. And so please... For the sake of your children, and Ryan and myself, please get those spots filled. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then, af that, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Please pray with me. Father God, please provide clarity. Please settle this room. Please limit distractions. Allow me to be your vessel. Allow people to hear your word and your truth today. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their desires, their own evil desires, and enticed and dragged away. They are tempted, they are lured. And so here, James is obviously dealing with, with some people questioning, does God tempt us? Does God throw that out? Does he entice us? Does he drag us away? And James is dealing with what I see as a question that they have. Because they're dealing with, with some trials, they're dealing with some oppression, there's, there's some issues going on. And they have a feeling of a response towards that. And maybe their response isn't right. And they're saying, wait a minute, God, you're, you're, you're having me deal with this. You put these feelings inside of me, right? What, what, what do I do with that? And as I think about temptation and I think about sin, I go immediately to the garden. I think of Adam and Eve. I think that, that while they were in the garden, they were given this ability to eat all the fruits, all the vegetation they wanted there. They were given the ability to eat from the tree of life, but there was this one tree that they were called not to eat from. This tree of this knowledge of good and evil. And so as they're walking through the garden, they see this tree, and they come up and they have this conversation with this serpent. The serpent enters into this dialogue with Eve. And it's interesting what he does. He asks a, kind of a loaded question. Can, can you not eat anything in this garden? Can you not eat anything at all? Which then Eve's response is, no, we can eat all of this. But what happens with her attention? What happens with her eyes? They let go of everything that she's allowed to eat and they zoom in on the one thing that she's not allowed to have. They let go of all that God has provided and given and focus on what God has said, stay away from. And when I think of sin, I kind of think of it as as something that we're supposed to stay away from, from a, like a keep out box. And if I'm being honest, I haven't always grown up with the good concept of if something says keep out to stay out. Uh, I, I was always interested in getting into places that I wasn't supposed to be. My mom tells the story that when I was young, that, you know, those little baby, wooden baby doors that kind of, keep your child from going into the room, that I took it apart with a butter knife 
Now it's 15, but, you know. <laughs> but I've always been intrigued by not being able to get somewhere and thinking I should. I was living in Jay, Florida, around 11 years old, and uh, I'm a Church of Christ preacher's kid. And my good friend at that time was the Baptist preacher's kid. And we rode our bikes down to the local baseball field, and there was the concession stands that was locked up. And in my mind, that lock said, let's keep out. So I thought we should get in. And so we're sitting there working on how to break into this concession stand. Mind you, the Church of Christ preacher son and the Baptist preacher son, there is unity. And we're trying to get into this, this, this concession stands. And out of nowhere, these big hands grab us. And we look behind us, and it's this huge high school student whose mom had sent him to grab us and hold us until the police came. And so we're sitting there talking with them, and it's a small town, so luckily they only have one police officer. I think he was at lunch. So it took some time. And we're just talking with them, and he kind of lets go of us, and we kind of look at each other, and we take a break for it. We get on our bikes, and we, we head home. I, I, I don't think I ever shared this with my parents, and I know my mom's watching right now, so this could result in some consequences later. But when I think of sin, I kind of think of it in that moment of like, it's a keep out of, stay away from. And that's what Satan is trying to do. Wait a minute, you, 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 God's not letting you have this? Come on. And then they saw. They saw that it was, it was pleasing to the eyes, that, that it was good for food. See, in that moment, what took place is they decided that what God says is good because God created and he followed that with his creating something. He said, this is good. And when he created them, he said, this is very good. And when, when, when God said those things were good, he was telling them, this is good and this is not good. And in the moment that they look at this and they decide to take of it, I hope this does not fall over or me. They decide to take from it. What they've decided is that from there on, they want to decide what is good. They want to decide what is good for them and what is not good. And we have these desires. We, 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 we have these desires. We have a desire to do things, to, to live things out. But James says, these our own evil desires, I think that's fulfilling them in an, in an evil way. See, I have the desire for, for things to be made right. When somebody wrongs me, I want it right. I want things fair. I don't want anybody to mistreat me or someone I love, and if they do, they need to know about it, right? And there needs to be good things in this life. But the problem is, is when I take on these things myself, when I take on that desire myself and I decide what's right, what's wrong, and I allow that to dwell in me and I allow that frustration to build and that frustration and anger grows and then it becomes hatred and I give in to violence or murder, 
I've fallen to this sin. See, I believe God, God put in me this desire to worship. I came in early. There's some individuals in here working together on a song. And they sang one of my favorite songs, He is Faithful. And I'm walking back to my office and I'm singing along with them. Luckily, they could not hear me to mess them up. But it's in me. It's in me to worship God. It's in us. God put that in us. I believe that, that we can't help but worship God. And the Israelites, they wanted to worship God, but they struggled with executing at times. And I do too. And as Moses is up on this mountain, he comes down. And with this desire to worship God, they fell into idolatry. They started worshiping God through this golden calf. And I believe that we desire to worship something greater than ourselves, a being that has created us. But when we start worshiping other things, we fall into idolatry. God is a relational God. You can see it here in the garden. You can see it throughout Jesus' life. He is a relational God. We desire relationships, but we also desire a certain type of relationship. An intimacy, a sexual intimacy. But see, when we take that sexual intimacy and we fulfill it outside the covenant relationship that God has created for us of man and woman marriage, when we live outside of that in any form or fashion, we take this God-given desire and we make it our own evil desires. We satisfy the cravings of our flesh and we give in to sin. Because we're relational people, we want to belong. I desire to be a, a, a part of, of other people and, and to know them and them to know me, and I don't want to be cast out. So I could be tempted to expand the truth a little bit, to fit in. I could be tempted to expand the truth, to, to be seen, to be known, to be loved. I could be tempted to change the truth, to not be rejected. And when I do that, Take this God-given desire of wanting to belong, wanting to connect with people, and I use words and create a false life and a lie. God has put in me the desire to provide for my family. I want to give them food. I want to give them shelter. I want to give them clothes. I have this desire to provide, to take care of things. But when I walk it out the wrong way, when I live it out in other ways where God, than God has called me to do, I might give in to stealing or I might get so consumed and focused on all my possessions that I fall into greed. I take this God-given desire 
of providing for my family and start being centered on all the things that I'm trying to provide them with. few weeks ago, we talked about trials. And I talked about that individual who, who was in the Columbine shooting, and he came out of that and was struggling with a lot of physical pain and a lot of emotional pain. Like, pain tells us something, right? And, and I believe God has, has shared with me and, and put in me this desire to respond and react to pain. Like, I touch the stove, I can't help but jump back, Right? That's in me. It's instinct. But like that individual, when we, we want to escape pain in a way that's not how God would have us escape, when we want to escape pain and we, we misuse or overuse prescription medication or alcohol or we fall into illegal drugs, we take a God-given desire and we fulfill it in this ungodly way. I want to do good up here. I want to, I want to preach a, a sermon that, that makes sense to, to you guys and to my life. I want to walk through Scripture. I want it to, to, to kind of catch you and leave you with one thing to work on because I need that one thing to work on. And I want to do a good job. I think we all have areas in life where we want to do a good job, right? And there'll be multiple times where my wife will say, hey, how's it coming along? I'll be like, I don't know. There's, something's just not flowing right in this sermon. And she'll say, have you prayed about it? Have you sought God in it? And I'll be hit right between the eyes that I've given into pride that have kind of made it more about me and less about God. And I think we take this desire to do good and we fulfill it in an ungodly way, becomes all about us. Whoa, I almost lost it there. It's interesting. When Jesus fasts for 40 days, he's in this desert. It's interesting, the first temptation that, that comes to mind when, when he's dealing with that. Satan goes to him, he says, hey, you see this stone? Why don't you turn it into bread? I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for quite some time. And Jesus turns away from that. And what's interesting to me about that is, is in, in a sense, he's being asked to use his power to create food, Right? And Jesus does that. He multiplies the fish and the loaves. But what's different in this scenario? Jesus' response helps us to know what's different. He says, it's written that man should not live by bread alone, but on the everlasting word of God. See, in that moment, what Satan was trying to do, he was trying to take this God-given desire to eat. God has put that in me. I, I know when I'm hungry. My head tells me, my stomach's growling, 
And, and I need to listen to that because I need substance. I need food to be able to walk, to think, or I will pass out, right? And so there's this God-given desire for us to eat, to take care of that. There's a God-given desire for Jesus to eat, but he turns Satan down. Because what Satan is trying to do is Satan is trying to say, hey, make this bread the center of your life. And that's what we do when we deal with gluttony. That there's a God-given desire for us to eat. But when we get so focused in on that, we give in to it. And we take this God-given desire and fulfill it in an ungodly way. See, Satan tells him, are you sure you're really going to die? Did God say that you would die? And he says, yeah, if we, if we eat this or even if we touch it, we die. And I don't know what took place. It's not written. But the command wasn't about touching it. The command was about eating it. So in my mind, I kind of think, okay, maybe she just kind of accidentally brushed up against it. Maybe she just barely touched it. And notice, wait a minute, I didn't die in that instance. And then she takes it and she eats it. And Adam's watching by and like, oh, wait, she didn't die. Because he's right there with her. See, they didn't believe that death would really take place. And I think that's kind of the same for us when we deal with sin. That we actually don't believe that death is going to take place. But it does. Here in James, verse 15, it says, Then after that desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, it caused a great separation, which equaled death. The first separation is they, they clothe themselves, right? And that signifies that they hid, each, hid one another from each other. They, they hid themselves from one another. That their relationship, Adam and Eve's relationship, because of their guilt, because of their shame, clothed themselves, hiding themselves from one another, and then they hid themselves from God. That they themselves separated from each other. And from God. And that guilt and shame is what was the beginning of the death. Paul says that, that for the wages of sin is death. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They didn't fully believe it. And at times we don't. And what we think is, is just a box that says keep out, stay away. Or, or it's just a little bit of sin is really a coffin. It's really our grave. But God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave Adam and Eve in their guilt and shame, and he doesn't leave us in our guilt and our shame. As Cliff shared earlier, that Jesus was so 
angry and furious with death, with sin, that he was willing to deal with, with Lazarus, to bring Lazarus from the dead and conquer that. But he had to take on his own death in order for that to take place. He had to make steps towards the cross. And God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to conquer that death. It is our sin that took Jesus to take on the cross. It is our sin that, that put him up there, and it is our sin that held him up there, but when he took it up there, he defeated it. He conquered it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become his righteousness. We cannot fall into the same deception that Adam and Eve fell into. Where they have this beautiful garden where all their desires, their needs are taken care of. But we say, you know what? I don't know if God's got it right. Maybe I should figure out what's good for me. Maybe I should decide. Part of the biggest problem in the book of Judges is it says that they all did right in their own eyes. They were trying to decide. But if we take a moment when we're wrestling with what we're called to do and we say, okay, is, is this what God has called me to do? Is, is this how God wants me to fulfill these desires I have in my life? Or is this the way of the world? God's loved us. and said, you don't have to live in that guilt and that shame anymore. And I know, I know that more than likely, something that's up there on that tree is something that you are dealing with. And it's causing death in your life. It's separating you from, from relationships around you and it's separating you from your relationship with God because you're sitting in that guilt and that shame and you think you can't confess it. But through the cross, Jesus says, there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you may be wrestling with something. And I urge you to seek out somebody up here, possibly. One of our, one of our prayer members up here who's willing and able and, lo and lovingly wanting to, to share life with you and say, hey, what can I help you in? Or I want you to go to a really close friend and say, hey, look, I'm drowning in this. I'm suffering in this. And I'm scared to tell someone, but I need to. Because that's when we find hope. Because when we confess that, God says, I'm here for you. I love you. So if you have any need today, Please come as we stand and we sing.